Good evening and welcome. Hello, Julian. Hello, Mike. Wow. Well, we're into series four of Memory no. Ramblings. Series four? <laughs> series four? How did that happen? A minute ago, it was March and we were in lockdown. Yeah. And, and now it's uh, November and we're in lockdown. Oh, we are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Ho. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Well, what a night we've got tonight. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So we've got a fabulous guest tonight, um, a chap I've spent many hours with, normally on a bicycle, um, riding around Scotland and uh, Northern Ireland, doing CPD off a bicycle, like a couple of onion sellers. And one of, my, one of my surgical heroes. Oh, right, okay. Well, tell everybody who we're talking to. We are talking to none other than Alistair Hodston-Moore tonight, who is fantastic. Tell us a little bit about him. Shall I give you his bio? Yeah, please so do, let's, let's because I think so, he's nearly here. He's almost here. He's yeah. drawing up outside. I can hear his, his wheels crunching on the gravel. Go on. So he qualified from Cambridge in uh, 1990, so in the last millennium. And he's focused pretty much on small animal surgery since then. So he did an internship, uh, had a residency at Bristol, their school, uh, spent a, a little time doing research in Ab Aberdeen. Uh, in 1997, so a year after I qualified to get some sort of perspective, he returned to Bristol and um, he was subsequently lecturer and senior lecturer in small animal surgery. He's got postgraduate qualifications in loads of things, so in um, radiology, small animal cardiology, small animal surgery and medical education. Wow. Uh, he was also the programme director of the veterinary nursing degree and led through years three to five of the BVET science programme. Wow. He moved into private uh, referral practice uh, early 2000, 2009, that's still early for me, mm -hmm. uh, was clinical director and member of the clinical advisory board. Um, and, oops, hold on. and after that, he uh, received a fellowship shortly after that, 2017, received wow. a fellowship for contributions to clinical practice and as an advanced practitioner in small animal surgery. Okay. He has more publications in peer-reviewed journals and books than you can shake a stick at. Gosh. He's uh, spoken in just about every country in, in, uh, in Europe and the world, mm -hmm. uh, and very recently left good old Blighty to go to China. Our man in Shanghai. Our man in Shanghai. Wow. Well, I, I believe he's back now, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And I'll tell you what's more, Julian. Not only is he back, he's in the waiting room. <gasps> let's get him in. Let's, let's get him in. Let's get in and introduce everybody to Alistair Hotston Moore. Alistair. Hello. Hello. Hey. Oh. Alistair, you've got far more hair than any of us. I got I got it here as well. Look, yeah, what's going on down there? Yeah. It's my it's my it's my uh, unemployment beard. <laughs> <laughs> I can't I can't afford to you know frizzle money away on shaving and stuff. So I so, think Mike's so, saying by the looks of it. Yeah. So, so seriously, viewers, if you can afford to send a bick a week 
to Alistair, uh, <laughs> please go to www.sendalistairabickaweek.co.uk. Yeah, thank you. That's very kind of you. You're very, very welcome. Uh, other razors are available. <laughs> we don't want to waste money on those. Probably better ones. Fix are fine. Yeah, it's it's, it's troubling me actually because he, he wears it a little bit better than I do. I think and... That's, it's all right, isn't it? I did it. I, I did it's it. It's a nice one. It's yeah. all right, isn't it? And this is yeah. oh three weeks. Three weeks now, I think. Yeah, three weeks. Yeah. See, when I was at college, I grew uh, I grew a beard, and after about six months, it grew into really quite a luxuriant um, cat weasel, straggly one. Uh, and my wife has informed me that if ever I grow another beard again, she's leaving. Yeah. So that's a good sign. <laughs> I've had a lockdown haircut to try and keep me going for the next four weeks. Yeah. Have you? Fair enough. So you, you've, you've come, you sort of left one lockdown to another. I was, you know, that lockdown in China was a long time ago. And uh, life has been almost normal for months. So, so, so you've, you've you've come back now, have you, Alistair, to to the to the new lockdown and and and, and really to to, uh, to try and crack this this virus once and once and for all. And so, just don't go out ever, ever again unless unless you want to drive to Barnard Castle or or, or, or some or somewhere like that. Uh, thank you, and then we'll get through it all uh, until we die of coronavirus uh, next week. Thank you. I, I have to say, I, I'm scared because for the, for the listeners, for the listeners to the show, that was almost pitch perfect and visual perfect um, <laughs> uh, mimic of of our erstwhile Fuhrer, not Führer, Obergruppen Führer Boris. Obergruppen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Boris Johnson, yay! yay! Fantastic, don't we love him? Don't we love him? We love him as much as um, no, no, no. We were not going to go there, are we? I'm not. I'm not going to mention Dominic Cummings. No, no. Our de facto prime minister. Yeah. Or, or, or what's going on over the other the other side of the Atlantic either? No. So, so you're back. You're back from China. Yeah. Did you have a good time? We had a ball. Mm -hmm. Most of the time. Yeah, but but we'll talk about the food later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We had a we had a lot of fun. We uh, it, China is a, a a strange place in as you might expect, and uh, and a land of contrasts in every way. Uh, but so in this context, that means that yes, we had times when we had. Uh, uh, fun and certainly an awful lot of interest and saw things that we'd never otherwise see yeah. in a good way uh, and also life in China can be extremely frustrating mm -hmm. and they, there's a sort of general view that li living there as a uh, uh, international uh, expat that if if you uh, can enjoy six days a week then you're you're okay and uh, if you if you get to only enjoying five days a week, it's it's probably time to uh, to think again, because the, oh, right. the days when you have difficult days can be uh, can be very difficult. And is that bureaucracy? Bureaucracy is a an important part of it. So uh, I guess it you it would be the same if any of us went to make a life in another country. Mm -hmm. uh, but not only, of course, is there language barriers more than there would be in other European countries, for example, but also the Chinese, they like systems 
and they 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 liked they, I think they've introduced more systems in recent years because they feel they ought to. Uh, but some of those things lead to a lot a lot of frustration sometimes. Mm. So you know, as an example, to open my bank account. Well, firstly, you can only have a bank account if you have a work permit. You so uh, my my wife couldn't have a bank account, and you can't have joint bank accounts. Uh, so I had to have a bank account, and then she could we could share my uh, bank cards through uh, payment apps and things. Mm. Uh, but so first of all, you yes, you need to have a work permit. Then you need to go to the bank with your passport, your work permit, your work contract, uh, and a statement of your salary. And this this took three visits to get this sorted out. And uh, and the the last visit, which was successful, was three hours. And you think you know, these things just take wow take time, and you just it takes a while, and you just mm. have to learn to accept that some of these things in China just seem to take time that you don't understand. And, and wow. are they sped through by greasing the palms a little bit sometimes? No, no, no. That, that's not obvious. I think I think that can happen, but that that's not that. No, right. I, I never saw that myself. And do you learn the the language at all? Very little. And maybe uh, t t I'm, I, I would be flattering myself to say 20 words, probably. Oh, uh, le less than that. Oh, no, not, not very much at all. No. But, but if, you, I, if, you learn, if you learn 20 words, then you probably know about 2,000 because some of them are the same words, but you just pronounce them slightly different. So, 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 and so. So there's the four, the four, I know there's four tones in pronunciation. Right. Yes. But that, that's all I know there are four tones, but I don't, you know, that doesn't help me in the slightest. The, the, one, no. I, the one I like best, because I, I spent a little bit of time studying this, and the one I like best is, um, it, and I'll probably get it wrong, and I apologize in advance to any of our Chinese listeners here for my intonation, but it's it's the word ma, M-A. Yeah. And um, and with the intonation of, um, of, of ma, that means mother-in-law but ma means horse and mm -hmm. and i think it's great and i could just i can just picture a whole host of, of, of oh, occasions no. there and where i could i could blunder in and and get it all wrong yeah although they you know something i i discovered and one one reason that i uh, accepted a job in china was actually chinese people do have a sense of humor and a sense of fun right and, yeah uh, in, because I, I speak almost no Chinese, it wasn't a big problem actually, because mm -hmm. you can you can talk to people without sharing words, and you can uh, you know laughing, smiling, and pointing. If you if you if when you're pointing, you're laughing and smiling, not shouting and you know <laughs> gesticulating, then it then it works. So you're and not a true British expat then. No, no, I, I don't. said you're not a true British expat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I'm sure I was on occasions because sometimes that bureaucracy thing just gets too much. That, that, sure that's another one. That's another one I've just remembered. Yeah. Um, yes. Chinese for cat. China, you know this one, surely, Alistair. Mao. 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 Yeah. Mm. Mao yeah. is the Chinese for cat. I, I like that. Sorry. <laughs> and and thank you. Is is it Shui Shui or something? Shui Shui. Yeah. Uh huh. 
Although I'm told, my, Paula tells me I've always pronounced it wrong, so I'm not going to pronounce it now because apparently I, the trouble is once you start pronouncing something wrong, it's very hard to. Uh, to it, it is. Yeah, it is. There's hippocampal learning going yeah. on there, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. 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 There's some. I, I I always used to ask. Well, always. I often ask a question as a, as a sort of icebreaker for for quizzes and things. Uh, what's the longest sentence in the English language comprising of just one word? And um, did you know this one? Go on. So the, the longest sentence in the English language comprising of just one word is buffalo, 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 buffalo. And, and that's a completely grammatically correct sentence. Uh, because buffalo here has three meanings. There's buffalo, which is the, the, the bovid, the animal. Uh, and there's buffalo, which is the, the place in America. And there's a verb, to buffalo, which is an American verb, and it means to, to annoy or be grouchy at. So buffalo, buffalo, in other words, the buffalo from buffalo. Buffalo, or get grouchy at. The buffalo, buffalo, so the ones from buffalo. The, um, the, the buffalo, buffalo, also buffalo. You see, so so that's now buffalo, 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 buffalo. So that's um, that's thirteen. However, eight. So, however, the longest the longest uh, sentence in the Chinese language, comprising of just one word, is a ninety-four word poem called "The Lion Eats," and it only has one word, which is "she," but she can have. You know, 30 odd meanings and so they, they trounce us completely on that one yeah it's a, it's a, i mean this is this is my my excuse for why i i didn't try very hard to learn it because i i decided early on before i went that i would never learn enough to be useful at work i'd never mm. consult in chinese and actually it would be dangerous to do so because unless you have a very secure grasp of language that that leads to all sorts mm. of difficulties. Yeah. Uh, so I never really, uh, I never started. And then every so often I think, oh, I should, I should get some lessons arranged. But I never did. But Paul, Paula, you know, Paula did a lot. Paula, Paula, yeah. you know, has a reasonable grasp, but she gets frustrated. And, uh, and this is because, as in any conversation between people of different languages and different appearances, of course, if you don't manage to speak clearly in the language you're trying to use, and you don't look like you should be using that language, people just assume you're speaking your own language and they don't understand you. Yes, yeah. that's true. It, it, it can be as uh, frustrating the other way around. So Sylvia and I uh, are learning Greek, and um, we, we can both speak Greek now you know, reasonably. We can, we can get by. Uh, but Sylvia, being Armenian, looks Greek and so if I speak Greek then they'll be overjoyed that here is someone who's clearly English speaking Greek and they will they will speak very slowly and half in English because they you know, certainly the idiomatic expressions. I didn't know Greek people could speak slowly. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they have to twist their arms until it hurts but, but if Sylvia says something in Greek then they'll look at her and think oh she's clearly Greek and they'll rattle off a thousand revs per minute Give the answer to a question. Yeah, 
And the and the trouble with these answers is that, and we've been there. So you know, you you can develop a question in another language, and I couldn't do it in Chinese, but you know, I I, I could spend ten minutes thinking of a question in French, and then of course you deliver your question, and the answer comes back. So you just go down there. Now my auntie, you still live on the left there, but That's don't it. go there. You're around the corner, <laughs> see the house with the red door. You don't want that one. Just keep going along a bit. And you look, I know you're looking for bakers, but before you get to the bakers, there's an excellent butchers just there. Yeah, sausages. Must, sausages are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> On you go. So it's, you're doomed, aren't you? You're doomed. Yeah, you are. You are. So I, know, I didn't have that problem in China because I, you know, I could, uh, I could tell the taxi driver to turn right because mm. sometimes that's useful. Uh, not least because onto the compound where we lived, you would go in and you get to, you know, it's the only roundabouts I've seen in China. They don't really do roundabouts, but for some reason on our compound, there was some, a series of roundabouts. So you get to the first mm -hmm. roundabout, turn right. Okay, so I've got the word for right. And then you get to the next roundabout and it's uh, straight across. So, oh yeah, straight across. And then, uh, and then stop or here, usually here. Mm -hmm. And you can stop, and that's it. But I never learned the word for left because I didn't need to turn there. <laughs> <laughs> they never reversed into the uh, compound at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, oh. actually, you know, with modern technology, you can, you know, actually, although I can tell the taxi driver where to go, he's already got it on his phone because of course, yeah. I called it yeah. the DD on on the DD app, and there's a DD version of the app in English. Mm -hmm. So that's great, and uh, and off you go. And you know the the usual social media for messaging friends and so on is WeChat or WeChi. And again, mm. there's an auto translate within it. Mm. So uh, you know, I, I I have some Chinese contacts that speak no no more English than I speak Chinese, but we can we can uh, talk about things. You know, they can ask me for case advice, and I can give them case advice using in-app translation it just i think requires both parties just to think carefully about the way that they, they incredible isn't it we're, we're we're approaching the stage where we can almost get douglas adams's babel babel fish to uh, absolutely yeah what, what are what are clients like in, in in china are they the same sort of clients we get over here are they more demanding less demanding uh i guess same as here there are some that are very demanding and uh and and some that are more like we would think we would be if we were clients. Yeah. So my particular client base, I have about uh, a third of uh, Western clients, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, about a third of uh, English-speaking Chinese clients, right. and maybe a third of uh, non-English-speaking Chinese clients. And they're, they're generally not not entirely, but they're they're in the uh, middle to upper economic bracket of course mm -hmm. we weren't a particularly expensive establishment actually but certainly the sort of walking price was certainly not expensive right uh, and so most of the western clients of course are similar to uh, to uk or north american clients in terms of their general attitude and so on right. uh, some of them aren't so perhaps some people that uh, westerners that have only started keeping pets since they lived in Shanghai. Then some of them behave in a more Chinese style, uh, mm. uh, and that, that has some interesting uh, effects. Do, do, you want to, do you want to care to elaborate on yeah, Chinese yeah. style for us? 
so one of the one of the interesting things about uh, the client vet relationship in uh, in China is there is much less trust going on than we 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 just accept is the case in the UK. So we all have clients who don't trust us. Of course we do. And we all have clients in the UK that we fall out with. But the reality is that 90% of clients, maybe more, do like us. They do trust us. And, and they, they follow our instructions without, you know, they may, they may ask questions to understand them better. But generally, they follow our instructions because they believe we're giving them the, the correct answer for the best care of them and their pet. Chinese... Yeah. The trust between vets and clients in China is much less. Uh, and it's, that's partly some of that relates to the vet relationship. And I think some of it relates to general levels of, uh, of trust between uh, clients and businesses in China. There is, much, there is less trust. Trust is not a given. So, you know, as a, and a non-veterinary example, uh, you know, if I go, if I go to a shop here, or I go and, you know, eat out in a restaurant in the UK, and the bill comes, I suspect, like most people, I glance at the bill, and if it looks, you know, that looks right, right, yeah. it's right, then, then you're good to go, really, aren't you? And, yeah. uh, mm. you get. and whereas in China, everyone would, would rake through the bill item by item, that would be much more normal. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Really. And and I, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with that. It just, I think, illustrates a different level of of trust between mm. clients. I, I almost perceive it. It would be the other way around. No, no. So uh, you know, we went out with uh, one of one of my uh, nurses, uh, a young lady called Mia, who uh, who we uh, she was very useful and very pleasant to us, Laura and I. And uh, we went to a local uh, Chinese, of course, restaurant with her one night. Yeah. And we we were talking. You know, you can get in a restaurant like that, which was just around the corner when we where we live. You could get a good meal for five to seven pounds a head, including a couple of beers. Right. Uh, and at the end of the evening, she went through the bill and she discovered that they had charged us for some uh, boxes of serviettes that we hadn't opened. And Ooh, she insisted really? that we they take them off the bill, and we're talking, you know, twenty pence. Yeah, and that's mm. it's, so. It's not a criticism. I, 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 you know, I'm be very careful about I, about the way I say things. I just I observe it as a difference. Yeah. Uh, and and the and the the veterinary industry is is you know reflects that as well. In a, in a general sense, as well as in a particular sense. So yeah, the other thing is that, you know, vets in the UK, of course, they're generally trusted. Uh, yeah. We are generally, well, we are well-educated. Mm. We behave professionally. And even if we chose not to behave professionally, we, we, we could easily get caught out for behaving non-professionally. There would be sanctions mm. against us. Uh, and... So, you know, generally, we, we behave as a profession. Mm -hmm. Yeah, vets in China, I would say, are, don't see themselves as a profession, generally. They, they, you know, what I'd say one of the defining aspects of a profession is self-regulation, or at mm -hmm. least 
how much of it now is self-regulation, but re regulation within within the profession in some way. That doesn't yeah. really happen in China. Uh, so there's no equivalent of the RCDS? No. Not there. No. It's, you, you, you have to have a local, li a local license. Mm -hmm. but, right. Uh, that's, I think, not particularly measured on your professionalism. It's more, you know, if you broke, if you broke the uh, laws for stocking pharmaceuticals or something, you, you might uh, have some sanction against you. But, right. but you know, as, a, as an example of that, this would be something that would never happen in the UK. So a client comes in with uh, uh, Dudu to come and see me. Dudu is there on the table in front of me, not looking very well. I've examined Doodoo. Doodoo. Doo. That's one of the commonest names of dogs in China. Right. Yeah. So this is like tricky woo, is it? This is yeah, absolutely. And, and at the same time, one of the more common presenting signs. <laughs> this is this is what I was thinking. I was, I was yeah. you know, Doo Doo comes in and, and, and I'm just up between this big steaming pile of oh, doo -doo. Right. Yeah. Of, of, Can I get back to my story? <laughs> sorry, Alistair. Yeah, sorry, sorry. So so doo 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 doo. I've examined doo, doo I've maybe reviewed some some uh, results that have come with doo, doo Now, the results won't have been provided by the other vet, if it's seen another vet already, because they, they don't really do that. But all oh. the, the clients have copies of all the results directly. Right. That's okay. just expected to be like that. Yep. And that's not a bad thing, actually. I quite mm. like that. Mm. Uh, so I've looked at the dog. I've looked at the uh, the blood test. I maybe they maybe have a screenshot of the X-ray. So I'm looking at the screenshot of the X-ray, and uh, and then the client's on the phone, and they're on the phone to another vet, not the vet they've seen already, but a third vet who's never seen Dudu or anything else, and the other vet will be telling the owner what they think should be done and saying that whatever I've suggested might be the wrong thing to do. Probably not more, white is the wrong word. That would be too kind. Mm. You know, I've actually had the, basically, you know, the, uh, another vet who's never met the dog or the owner telling the owner that I'm, I'm a fraud because uh, I, I've not done this particular test or I've suggested you do that particular test. That, as far as I know, that doesn't happen in the UK. I, I don't recall that happening in a, in a no. consultation. No. Could you imagine that in your consult room? No, although I did, I did have an interesting uh, occasion once. I was, I was consulting, and there was this, this guy saying, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah," and suddenly his phone went off. I, I was giving him a yeah. diagnosis. Yeah. <laughs> I was giving him a diagnosis, <laughs> a, a what, really quite serious one. His dog had. Um, You're watching uh, this live. <laughs> <laughs> his, yeah. his dog had an hemangiosarcoma, and so I was, I was telling him this really bad news. Hang on, Julian, 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 I've got something on the phone. <laughs> yeah, did, did you take your conversation over there? Come on, no, no, no. Oh, you're there, aren't you? So, no, I can't get over that. That is I, so rude. It is. It is. Yeah. He said, uh, he said oh, oh, yeah, 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 I'm at the vets, yeah. No, he's going on about something or other. No. So what is it? Yeah? You all right? Yeah? Friday? Yeah, Friday, yeah? You all right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I probably will, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Charge much too much. Yeah. <laughs> what? What the absolute... Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. There we go. I charge them double. But um <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right, it happens very rarely, and most people are respectful of us. We're very, very lucky. We're a privileged profession in that we are a profession and, and people in general have a great deal of trust 
in yeah. what we say, and which is good because that trust then is repaid. We we do the job we do because, in general, we love the job we do, and we love the the, the patients. And there's this certain bit of love that goes to the clients as well, because actually, to have a dog or a cat and pay it that much attention and bring it to the vet needs needs love and commitment. And so we, in turn, respect the clients for doing that, don't we? Yeah, that's that's brilliant, Alice. So what's next for you? Any plans at all? So I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm likely to return to a referral practice in the in the UK, right? Uh, after Christmas. Okay. Any ideas which one yet, or, or uh, not at liberty to say? I'm uh, just finalising some. I've you know, talked to a couple of people, and mm-hmm. uh, people seem to be uh, surprisingly keen to uh, to get me in their team. So, uh, why are you uh, surprised? We all suffer occasionally from imposter syndrome, I think. Let, let's yeah, let's examine that. You, you're thing, you're eh? far, far from an imposter. Uh, so, and, as I said earlier in our, in our intro, the, you, you spoke about heroes of, um, of the veterinary profession. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest, you know, to, to me, a, a, a lowly jobbing veterinary surgeon who has an interest in, in, uh, in soft tissue surgery, you, you know, Whenever I do surgery, I think, you know, what would Alistair be doing this? Would, would, he, I, I, would I be doing it nearly as well as he is? Clearly the answer is not. But, um, you know, I, I, I look to you as, as one of the, uh, I don't want to get too, you know, too, too, too uh, close here with you on this, but I, I look to you as one of the, the, the leaders of the profession in this, in that actually when, when you started uh, to... to grind your teeth on the soft tissue field a lot of the procedures that are being considered standard now weren't being considered at all back then were they i think you're right i certainly there's i was i entered at a time when it was moving beyond a few universities and uh, you know there was only one or two referral centers wasn't there back then that had mm. any uh, any real specialism with a small s going on mm-hmm. uh, so yeah i was i was in it in it at that time and uh, and since then yes there's been many procedures that have become standard that were, were certainly not then when i you know interestingly you know if i look back at one of my heroes for example uh, professor harold pearson uh rest in peace probably <laughs> and uh it's you know so uh I, I had uh, I was lucky enough to look back through some of his case records. I was I was left his uh, his letters to look at uh, mm. when he retired, uh, so that I could fall back and do some uh, retrospective uh, studies, for example. And it was not that long before I was there that people were really reluctant to do bitch bays in practice. Is that right? Oh really? yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, I was. If you only go back to the, I started at Bristol in 1990, you, you would only go back to the 10, 15 years before that. Yeah. And, yeah. and there were lots of practitioners that would not want to do that and would send them, send them in to get done. Gosh. Yeah. Gosh. And obviously, you know, so it's just, just one example. But mm. yeah, and again, there's been another, another flourishing in, in my time for sure. Uh, I remember when I first saw practice uh, or, or you know, did clinical work experience rather when I was 10 or 11 
uh, and I've worked for for really quite a uh, an advanced vet in those days who, who had one of the one of the first veterinary hospitals in in Sutton. A guy called Alan Phillips, really nice guy, uh, and he would get scrubbed up in his short sleeved gown, get scrubbed up, and he, if he was doing an orthopedic op, that was the first thing on the table. As, as it should be now, because that was the most sterile. He'd whiz in, he'd do the orthopedic op, get the drill, sew it all up, hands up again, and the nurses would whisk the dog away and then bring him the bitch spay. And he'd dive in there and do that. And, and he reckoned that actually you could do an orthopedic, uh, a bitch spay, a dog castrate, and then the cats, because that would be a line of sterility and... Mm you'd be absolutely fine in doing that. Yeah. Of course, he'd put a, a good vial of, of powdered pen Britain into each wound at the time. Just you just can't get Britain. it, you just can't get it anymore. It's just I know, I know. But, but actually, Leslie Vaughan was still using that at the RBC when I was studying. Pen Britain is, is crystallised, uh, so dried penicillin, isn't it? Ampicillin, yeah. Ampicillin, yeah. Ampicillin. Um, yeah. And you'd, you'd sprinkle it in with the hopes that presumably the high acid content of it would kill what? any uh, any bacteria. One of my, one of my when I was when I was a resident, one of my mentors was using it. Yeah, mm. yeah. You know, you know, when you finish the <laughs> total ear canal ablation and uh, vent and lateral bullet osteotomy, then you'd, you'd sprinkle in some uh, right. uh, the, the, the magic yeah. the magic dust. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I've never done that, but uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you shudder it now. I know when I first qualified, wow. there was this idea that um, if you were doing a rabbit abscess and, and clearing that out, you'd you'd suture a, an anti-rope capsule. In and place. do you know where that came from? No. So that whole thing came from when anti-rope were looking for promotion, yeah, you know, advertisement material and stuff. So this must be in, I don't know, ninety-two. I don't know, maybe before, a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And somebody wrote a case report of a of a rabbit abscess, and this is what they did. And then it's just become this is what you should do on the yeah. basis of of a case report written, not not no peer review, nothing else, <laughs> written for the purposes of Upjohn as it was then. Yes, promote yes. antirobe in uh, in small animals. Uh, this is the n equals one caseload. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And it's persisted for persisted in every sense. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 that capsule's still there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've got to say, it'd be classed as an urban myth, really, wouldn't it? Yeah. Mm. Uh, mm. I've, yeah. I've got yeah. one with the with the cat Doppler from Thames Medical, yes. and and there's a lot of them out there. They've been around for 22 years, and a lot of people will phone us up and say that they take the battery out after every use. Well, that's never appeared in any any documentation that I've produced as, as the manufacturer or anything. And it, it turned out that when the Novartis reps were carrying cat doppers around to promote corticor to control blood pressure, they were carrying the units around in the boots of their cars. So over winter, the unit would be in the boot of their car overnight. And of course, a cold battery would never work the next morning. Mm. So I, I told a couple of the Novartis reps that if you're carrying it around the boot of your car, take the battery out. And that 
got translated to every practice that uses a cat Doppler to having to take the battery out every time they use it. Where, of course, in, in practice, it's staying in a nice warm environment. There's no real temperature gradient and, or yeah. anything like that. And there's no real need to, unless you want to recharge it, of course. Yeah. But, um, yeah, most, most incredible stuff. So that's, yeah. where the, that's where the rabbit abscess thing came from, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Somebody must still have one of those leaflets somewhere. It'd be good to find it. It'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Love urban myths like that. Things things have progressed, haven't they now? And um, I guess most most practices are following or trying to follow uh, evidence based medicine. Yeah, evidence based surgery. Yeah. I want to come back to China, Alistair, because yeah, yeah. China, yeah. China is well. We all talk or we hear about Chinese medicine and and the, the Chinese way. Is there, is there much crossover in veterinary medicine with regards to Chinese? medicine uh, so that the, there is a, a school of a, a school in with a small s of uh, traditional chinese veterinary medicine uh, right i didn't have much to do with it because of course clients that would come to see me were not looking for that approach anyway uh, but certainly some well, of that's my... part that's partly because you're six foot four and and from the uk yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and they they've came, they came to me because they want so a Western facing. Yeah, okay. Clinic, as Sorry. It yeah. <laughs> uh, but some some of some of my patients will have been on uh, traditional Chinese veterinary medicine. Uh, in fact, most vets don't have any teaching on traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, and many of the uh, the certainly the foremost veterinary colleges don't seem to have any active teachers in traditional Chinese veterinary medicine. So vets that have learned it have learned it from themselves through book work rather than through uh, teaching at university. Right. Mm -hmm. But, you know, what I'll, I'll ask, as I'm no longer in China, I'll, I'll ask this question. What do we know about traditional Chinese medicine? The answer is we don't know very much. And how old do we think it is? When did it see a great resurgence? Any 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 thoughts on that? Ming? No. Uh, it, it was within the last 80 years, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, Mao Zedong mm. uh, realised that China didn't have enough doctors uh, right. and could never have enough doctors uh, at the time of the revolution. So he set about saying, well, what we need is to to find a way to provide medicine to the masses of China. And there is an awful lot of people in China. For sure. Uh, and so they collected anecdotes, old writings, and, and they produced a textbook for what were called barefoot doctors uh, going into the, the villages of China. And that has now transmogrified into what is called traditional Chinese medicine. But most of that will have no credibility. You know, even then it wouldn't have had much credibility. It's just a, a set of recipes. A, a lot of the anecdotal basis was fairly strong as anecdotes go. And, and so, you know, it was, it was anecdotes from, from thousands or tens of thousands of people, but, but with no real, well, absolutely no scientific 
no, uh, no, structure no in, in place to to, yeah. um, to to ratify them, and and so uh, I guess I, I'm well aware that someone's recently been sued, haven't they, for uh, for slacking off traditional Chinese medicine. Um, and and so I, don't think, I don't think we've done. I don't think we've done that. But I don't know. I know. But but what what we what we need to make sure is that actually we're we're dissing the fact that it's not thousands of years old as it's presented here and now. This is a modern representation of ideas, some of which may be thousands of years old, some of which may be uh, maybe fifty or so years old. Um, but it's this sort of coalescence of ideas, some of which have seemed to help over the years, that was put together to try and fight a problem that they needed fighting, which was, as you say, they didn't have enough doctors, they didn't have enough medicine capabilities to, to serve their nation, and they needed to, because they didn't have the drugs or the ability to get them in. So they had to try and find other ways that people on the ground could, could treat them. Well, well, some of this has got to be based in, in science that was unknown at the time. I mean, if, if we look at willow bark uh, and, well, and yeah, salicylic yeah. acid. Well, that, but there's there's a step between observing that it seems to work and then yeah. proving it works to the science, and also absolutely proving because, it's not because otherwise, otherwise, what you get is a teleological explanation for the results you see. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you you eat a certain herb, you feel better. Is that placebo? Is it is it medicine? I think it's medicine in this case because it happens more often than it doesn't happen, and and then. If you like, Western medicine comes in and says, "Well, okay, actually, let's let's look at that." Yeah, actually, there is uh, a null hypothesis that says it doesn't work. We've refuted that; it does work. Let's isolate the the chemicals that that, that, that sees that. Whereas a lot of traditional Chinese medicine um, is explained in in ways that aren't following Western scientific protocols. And, so, it's not been, and it's not been tested in those Western states. And it's not been tested, yeah. And, yeah. and I, you know, you could say that's a cultural difference, but I, I think it's a little more to it than that. And I, I'll, I'll, so I'll say, you know, the one of the difference I notice is, I noticed in, uh, in vets in, in China is that they don't really understand the idea of evidence-based medicine. And then they're not very discriminatory at the treatments they use. So, you know, if a, if a, if a dog has heart disease, well, if a dog has any disease, they, there will always be a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. they, they, their uncertainty is not something that uh, Chinese vets or Chinese clients are comfortable with. They like to have a name. And once you have a diagnosis, of course, then you have to have a treatment. Is enough, yeah. uh, and if you look at heart disease, there's maybe five classes of drugs we might use for treating heart disease, I mm -hmm. guess. Uh, I'm a surgeon, but that would be my guess. Uh, well, so they, you, you, you have a certificate <laughs> in cardiology, so I think you can, you <laughs> can brag about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the answer, of course, is every dog with heart disease has five drugs. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. Why, why, yeah. would, why would not every dog have uh, pinabendan and 
Sulfidabine and uh, and an ACE inhibitor, some fuzamide and, and and maybe some digoxin. Why why would you not? Because it's got heart disease, so we, we should treat all aspects in every case. Through it all, through it all, yeah. And and you know, and even even more so. So there there's difficulty with access to medications in in China. Mm-hmm. Chinese veterinary hospitals are only allowed to stock licensed veterinary products, and there's mm-hmm. not all that many of them. And uh, a selection of human uh, generic type products. Uh, mm. uh, you, it would be against the law to stock uh, unlicensed veterinary products. Interesting. Uh, is, well, well is what human... I mean is, is that getting back to this, this dog with heart disease, mm. so you might want to give it, you know, so many milligrams of sildenafil. But you don't have access to that in a in a useful form. All you have is the blue tablets that's uh, for for older men, and uh, and you know that the, the the dog needs much less than a whole blue tablet. So you break a bit off. So and and then it needs some uh, uh, some pimavandan as well. And again, because it's a, a, a tiny little dog, then you know you don't need to give it. A whole pimavandan tablet, and you don't have the range of tablets available, and it's probably not licensed in China anyway. So you, what you have has appeared in somebody's suitcase, carried in from another country, uh, and so you need a tenth of that tablet, okay? And then some fusamide, and you you can't get the fusamide pediatric suspension. Your dog only weighs two kilos, so you need a, an eighth of a human tablet of fusamide as well. Well, the obvious thing, of course, is is you have your technician to dice up all these medications, put them in a blue and white capsule, and tell you only you take you take a blue and white capsule uh, twice a day. Mm. And then when they come to see Mr. Hotstamore and Mr. Hotstamore says, "Oh, so uh, what? What is your pet receiving now? Because you don't, you don't, you know, you've fallen out with your last vet, so you want to come and see me. Uh, and as you know, I'm well known for my cardiology skills, so okay." What you? What are you giving your dog now? I'm giving a blue and white capsule. Yes. <laughs> and what's in that? We don't know. Oh right. No idea. No idea. Wow. And, and it's quite MSG. hard to find. It can be quite hard to find out what is in it because the the other vet may not have wanted to tell them because he wants to supply he or she wants to supply the drugs themselves. Yeah. Or they they're not good you know lots of practices don't keep very good records a lot of them are, are using written records if anything at all and then fine it doesn't so if you phone and speak to the receptionist you're never going to get an answer from the receptionist she can't call call it up on the computer and tell you what's been given might be written down on a piece of paper and if you're lucky at some point you'll get a a scan of the piece of paper wow that's quite, so, quite, quite a different it, world yeah. yeah so what's what's owner concordance like uh, not very good you know hmm. so if you give, give the tablets for three days and they work you may as well stop now and you've got uh, some in the cupboard if, if you give the tablet yeah, for yeah, three yeah. days and it hasn't worked you, you probably may as well stop now won't you <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah this has happened all the time and you know or hmm. much more so in that i've never worked as you know in first opinion practice in the uk hmm. so i i don't have quite the reliable barometer but I don't get the impression that so often in the UK people would just change doses and frequencies by themselves without without interacting with the. It, it, it happens. It happens more often than than uh, they like to think. I, I've got 
a lot of clients I think are brilliant and, and they always do things the way I want them to and take everything I say of gospel. I know, I know. And, and I, I said to one of them you know, a few months back uh, over the phone when we weren't allowed to, to see people, I said, um, uh, a, a dog had been bitten. I said, look, I think, I think we ought to see, I think he needs some antibiotics. He said, oh, look, I've got some of the pink ones left. What, 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 what's that you say? Yes, oh, hold on, I'll get them. Uh, Sinulex. Sinulox? Yes. I gave you a course of Sinulox two years ago for your dog. That's right, yeah, still got some left. No, no. There's a course. You give the whole of the course. You should know. No, I give him a couple over the weekend. That's after three days. So exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it happens more. And, you know, we had a little, uh, you know, because as you know, I'm also well known for my skills in neurology. So I, <laughs> people yeah, flocked to me with their neurology yeah. cases. Well, in we covered yeah. that already. Yeah. 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 And uh, they, this kitten that was having seizures and uh, we started it, we managed to get hold of some uh, liquid phenobarbitone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not an easy thing to do, uh, but so we, we, uh, we got hold of some of that. And... Uh, after and then we you know, were resupplying it and so on and after a while I hadn't heard for ages and then they came back to us and oh yeah we need some more now you should have needed some more about three months ago so what what have you been doing well I know you said to give it one meal three times a day you know and we we we, we did that and then it seemed to be going all right so we dropped it down to uh, one meal twice a day it seemed to go all right so and that, we've been giving a half a meal once a day for the last this is why we haven't needed anymore and it's what it, but you may as well have stopped then, you you know that because that's that's not going to be doing anything. Yeah, yeah. don't worry. Just... I've I've got veterinary practices that change their uh, their disposables on a similar sort of basis. Yeah, mm. <laughs> not really yeah. this. Well, you know, vets don't like to dispose of anything, do they? You know, no. that's why. No, yeah. no even, lot, even, lot though make, even though we can make a single patient uh, human disposable last a month. Some yeah. practices still manage to try and make them last six months. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so Alistair. Yes. We, we have a challenge on the show called the 60-second yeah. CPD challenge. How do you feel? I, I'm, I'm up for this. You're up I'm, for this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to rush my words, but I, uh, I, I have, a, I have a, a philosophy to share with you. You have a philosophy. Is this a Chinese philosophy or an English no, philosophy? No, this is, this is uh, Alistair's philosophy of teaching alistair's philosophy okay well on that in that case then alistair please share with us in 60 seconds alistair's philosophy of teaching starting now so i'm particularly uh, thinking of surgery cases when we learn to do things i strongly believe we should learn to do simple things well we should choose methods for surgical uh, treatments that are relatively straightforward with fewer steps and then focusing on doing them well, rather than looking for methods that's become increasingly complicated. And because something is more complicated, we are more likely not to complete the steps accurately. And we're more likely, therefore, to end with a less satisfactory result. So you might have two, two techniques, one of which has a 90% outcome if done well, and one of which has a 
95% outcome if done well. But if you can not deliver it to the satisfactory conclusion, you will not do well. That's close enough. That's fantastic. Right. Pretty good. That's fabulous. That's brilliant. Well, That's 60 well seconds CPD. 60 yeah. seconds CPD. Excellent. Excellent. So, so what you're actually advocating now, Alistair, is, is keep it simple. Absolutely. Stupid. But keep it simple for, uh, you know, for for a reason that I've tried to uh, to point out there. Uh, you know, there's, it's all very well to say, oh, you know, Miss P Professor Hare, Dr. Schmidt, has uh, has shown that this is a superior technique because his, his success rate is 95%. So we should follow Professor Hare, Dr. Schmidt's technique. But of course, if we don't do that technique very often, mm -hmm. the chances are we can't deliver it to that level of uh, mm. uh, technical accuracy. And therefore, it's not the right technique to use. Yeah. yeah. We, we, had a, we had a chat, I can't remember who with, uh, one of the, um, one of our guests a while back on, on levels of competency and this I, I guess fits in with that doesn't it uh, you know there are four levels of competence competency there's there's unconscious incompetence where you you don't know what you don't know yeah. uh, you then get a little bit better and you know what you don't know but you still can't do it properly so that's that's conscious incompetence uh, and then you get au fait with it you're able to do it as long as you're concentrating you're able to do it very well that's conscious competence and then you get to the stage where you can do it in in the the old-fashioned way with, with your eyes shut and your one hand behind your back and that's unconscious competence yeah uh, and so whatever you do you get to the stage of at least conscious competence before progressing forwards i guess that's that's what you're advocating is it it is and what you know if we look at the particulars uh, discipline of surgery we as vets even those of us that primarily do surgery unless we spent some time in china and developed our skills in dermatology cardiology <laughs> and neurology <laughs> and dentistry and uh, pharmacology you know, even <laughs> yes right even those of us that have uh, you know developed a discipline of surgery or in my case particular soft tissue surgery and particularly in dogs and cats i'm actually a real generalist compared to the the man that i would want to do my hip replacement sure. i'm i'm a real generalist and therefore we have to be careful to choose surgical therapies that can be delivered by people without the same experience and uh, specialist training that that we might expect in our medical colleagues. That's 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 my point. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's true for me as a uh, somebody who's discipline focused in soft tissue surgery. It's even more so for uh, general practitioners who are doing surgery together with all those other things that they have to do. Uh, and so we, you know, when when we see some complex surgical techniques published, and then they're promoted as the best thing from as, as best thing since sliced bread, that might be true in the hands of uh, those that get to uh, practice them and have all the right gear to do them and have reached mm. conscious conscious competence or uh, unconscious competence. Unconscious, con but, unconscious but competence. For most people, we're never going to reach that level. No. And no. therefore, it's much no. better to. Uh, to learn a technique that can be delivered reliably, even yeah. if 
the final outcome if you were to compare this technique in the hands of somebody who does it all the time compared to that technique in the hands of somebody who does it all the time even if the technique i'm teaching you is less uh less good outcomes only has a 90% cure rate as opposed to 95% that's okay mm -hmm. if the average lady on the uh, Clapham omnibus can deliver it then that's mm. what that's what we're looking for it is so that's that's an excellent uh, 60 second cpd subject alistair right yeah. it, um, i think that's deserving of of a cpd certificate I, I think so too. So if I could just read it out for people who, who haven't got access to the video here. So I put, yippee, it's another veterinary ramblings. And this confirms that all of you have paid attention and learned absolutely masses of all sorts of stuff. Signed me and him. Uh, but, but it really is a, a salutary lesson, this CBD certificate, because... What's, what's, the, what, what's, the, what's this? Is that a track lot of you? We haven't done no. it at all. Hmm? We haven't done fungi at all tonight. We haven't. We haven't. Oh, well, that's fungi. No, no, it's not. It's not, you see. There we go. They look like mushrooms. So for people watching, uh, I'm, I'm pointing at a, at a picture on the CPD certificate of, of what looks like three, uh, three mushrooms. But they're not. You know what they are? Go on. They're the remnants of potatoes that have gone through my spiralizer. And, and it wastes a little core and, and the end. And they look like mushrooms. And so this is why we must always be clear of what we're dealing with. Look and look again and be absolutely certain of what you're dealing with. Uh, well, what's a spiralizer? <gasps> you haven't got a spiralizer? Mike, where have you been? Is this like a neutral bullet or something? Is it some. Well, it, 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 I have no ideas. It shreds vegetables into a spiral um, and therefore clearly makes them healthier. Oh, so it is like a neutral Yeah, 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 pretty much. So they come out crispier um, when you deep fry them, is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I use goose fat. I know, you know other forms of deep frying solutes are available, but uh, a, a, a good deep fry potato and goose okay, fat. Okay, so, so all is not as it seems. Carry on then. All is not as it seems. There we go. Look. This is, what's this, a little bee on some lavender? Yeah. No, I don't believe so, that. So I thought we might touch on alternative therapies tonight. And uh, lavender okay. clearly has uh, other yep. medical properties. And honey, we're now using quite often, are we not, in, um, uh, in place of antibiotics to, to treat infections. So there and we go. And wound healing. And wound okay. healing. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that's a staff picture of me wearing a mask with a with a Chinese dragon on the front of it. Oh, how lovely! Very good. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, that's all very well as, as putting forward our certificate and our, our CPD, but of course, as as Alistair will, I'm sure, be aware now. Welcome back to the UK. Now back into the heart of the RCVS, um, there are certain requirements for CPD to be classified as CPD. And one of the key requirements there is that you have to reflect on the learning message that you have received um, during the CPD. So, Alistair, if, if I could formally invite you, please, just to join us on a moment's reflection on the CPD this evening. He has watched it. Look, I can see that. He's, he's... 
definitely watched it. You've seen it before, he's cheating. Yeah, he's cheating, he's yeah. seen it before. It's yeah. just too natural on this one. I must clean those blinds. Yeah. Hey, now, Alistair, I, I normally round off the evening with uh, with a joke, which usually goes down very badly. But but tonight, I thought I'd try something a little bit different. Are you going to dance for us? No. I'm going to do, I, I'm, I'm going to do your 60-second CPD in the medium of modern dance. Okay. No, no, I'm not. I'm, not. I'm, I'm going to give you a bit of a, bit of a mathematical conundrum because um, I know that maths is one of your one of your subjects, actually. But so here, here's the thing. There's, I'm going to give you a series of four numbers, and I want you to tell me the odd one out. Okay? Yeah. 15, 17, 23, and 42. Any, any ideas? Well, I was looking for a prime number, but there's two prime numbers hiding in yeah. there. Isn't there? So yeah, that's that's, that's, that's good. good. Well, well spotted. Well spotted. Yeah. Do, you want to pick, do you want to pick one of those prime numbers, for example? I, I'd, I'd go, go 17. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely correct. Do you know why? No. Because the others come with fried rice. <laughs> I thought I thought you'd know that living in China for, for eighteen months. Oh, sparrows! Oh, <laughs> oh, dog, help us! That's not, I, I'm going to say that's not how Chinese food works. <laughs> Only. You know, you know, only people that can't afford other things eat rice. You know that, don't you? Is that right? Oh, yeah. You know, we had um, we had some German uh, friends of ours staying with us a few years back, and um, and we went to uh, a Chinese restaurant, and, and they said, "Oh gosh, this is so much, so much rice. What do we go for?" And so we we, we ordered it ultimately, and we put the um, uh, we, we gave the numbers to, to the to the waiter, and they said, "Why why why do you why do you do the numbers?" I was in a, in a very cheeky mood, and I said, "Well, in England, every Chinese menu has exactly the same numbers. So if you order a thirty-three anywhere, it's always pork and black bean sauce." Really? I said, "Yeah, isn't it not the same in Germany?" No, no, it's not. <laughs> how, how does that work there? How, how do you know what you're ordering? They said, "Well, we just look at the menu." I said, "No, no, no, no." Completely illogical. And yeah, I, okay. I, I fancy uh, I fancy prawns and um, and bamboo shoots tonight. That's that's uh, that's what is it, Sora? She said twenty seven. Twenty seven. We go. And so <laughs> we got them believing it. And they, without us knowing, they, they they went on to uh, Oxford or something like that afterwards. <laughs> they made a note of what we had that night with this Chinese restaurant, and they ordered the food. I, I know what we ordered the other night. Here we go. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't do a 17. Oh. <laughs> it's just rice. You sure? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. They're speaking to me again now. Good. <laughs> Dog help us. <laughs> so, yeah. If, if I could say, Alistair, thank you very, very much indeed for sharing some of your experiences with us. And uh, to our audience, either on video or on audio, on Spotify, iTunes, please click like, follow, subscribe, and we'll keep you in touch with what we're what we're up to, and uh, keep on bringing you some very interesting guests from our environment across the world. So, if I could ask you to raise your glass, there, I see you've charged yours there, Julian. I have. 
Okay. Uh, we'll sign off in our traditional way. Alistair Hoxton Moore, thank you very much indeed. And may your dog go with you. Thank may you. your dog go with you, Alistair. Thank you so Cheers. much. Thank Come you back. very much indeed. <sighs> and cut! There we go. Time. <laughs> Have you enjoyed yourself, mate? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for your invitation.